Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by a guest speaker. My name is Linda Myers. I have the honor of serving on staff here. And on stage with me, I have Winslow Thurston. Winslow served as a pastor in the western side of the state, uh, west of Portland, for about 20 plus years, and now is here in Salem serving as a spiritual director. And so we have the opportunity during family gathers to share with you. The month of August feels a little bit different in this place than it does throughout the rest of the year. We embrace this concept of family gathers. It's a specific time where we give our children's workers and our student ministry volunteers a break. And that means that everybody from kindergarten on up is in this space together. Where are my kindergarten, first, second graders? I got C1 people in here? Yes, yes, okay. My C1 friends, there was an I Spy paper out in the lobby when you came in. If you grabbed that I Spy paper and you work on that during the service, I need help. I did it yesterday and I can't find the last flashlight. So I'm just saying, my little peeps who are here, come see me afterwards. If someone can show me the last flashlight, I would actually be eternally grateful. Adults, if you're doing the I Spy and you find the flashlight, I don't need you to come tell me. We're good. All right. But it also means when we are all here together for family gathers, we have fruit, fruit snacks. Nice. Yes. If you didn't get yours, there's baskets out in the lobby. Go grab those now. Now's come on the in. time. Yep. Rip those puppies open. Dig in. We are glad to share this, those this with is, you. This is like the sound when we have those one and things, oh. communion things. It's I thought this was a unique sound, but until no. we had those communion things, it's, it's actually the same. It's the same sound. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yes, indeed it is. All right. Family gathers, you will notice that the stage has been transformed. Shout out and thank you to our worship and tech team. They have set up a family table right here. It is beautiful. And you need to note something very specific. We do not have a kid's table and an adult table. This is not Thanksgiving dinner. We are here to talk about everyone having a seat at the table. We, we need a high chair. We are. We do need a high chair. We decided that that was an appropriate age and stage to include our table. Yep. So we'll level up okay. next week. Okay. Have a high chair. So we are going to spend time talking about the family table. Salem Alliance is a multi-generational community, and we celebrate that. And August is gonna be a time where we talk about timeless truths that apply at every age and stage of life. Things like meaningful friendships. That's what Winslow and I are gonna talk about this morning. Things like faith and feelings. How do those intersect? Or spiritual disciplines. What do those things look like when you're little, when you're a student, when you're in college, when you're raising kids, when you're an empty nester, when you're a widow or a widower? How does the truth of God's love and God's scriptures apply to each of us, no matter where we are? So, we're gonna kick off by talking about friends. So I'm gonna tell you how Winslow and I became friends. All right, we've got a picture. Yep, that's me. So, uh, and the brown-haired gentleman. Wow. 
in the middle. That's Winslow. Who's, who's that young guy? Yeah. So yeah. Winslow married my sister. Who's, who's the good-looking lady I'm next to? Yeah, that would be my sister Donna. Oh, yeah. Your wife. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Winslow married my sister Donna uh, when I was about 12, and I had the privilege of being in their wedding. And then many years later, Winslow returned the favor and was in my wedding as well. So, all right, we're busted. We're not just friends, we're family. But within that family context, um, we have established deep relationship and have walked together in life for almost four decades. So wow. here's a picture of our families today. Wow. We are kind of a rowdy bunch. Uh, we consider ourselves a crazy tribe, but enjoy being together immensely and enjoy times of playing games and laughter and loving Jesus and loving each other. Linda's the fun aunt. Duh. So. Yeah. All right. So Winslow's actually going to kick off. You have a story about a childhood friend. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, it's great to be with you today and talk about friendship. Uh, we're glad for all you on live stream, including my brother who lives in Maryland. So, hopefully you're all able to see that. Hopefully you've had a friend somewhere in your lifetime, maybe more than one. And maybe you've had a best friend. When I was nine or ten years old, I had a friend named Kurt Hempel, and Kurt Hempel was my best friend. And looking back, I'm not exactly sure why Kurt Hempel was my best friend. My, my guess is that when I was nine or ten, the reason he was my best friend was, well, we played well together. And so we would go to his house after school and play until it was time to go home, or he'd go to my house and we'd play. But at some point... We decided we were going to be more than best friends. We were going to be blood brothers. This is something we really didn't know much about, but we saw it on the movies, and it looked really cool. And being a blood brother involved um, bleeding and mixing your blood. Now, what could be better than that, right? And in the movies, they would use these large knives, and there'd be copious amounts of blood. <laughs> Don't try this at home. Children, don't try this at home. Those of you watching on live stream, just don't try it because, well, you're already at home. So um, we decided we weren't going to use large knives. We decided we were going to make it simple. We were just going to use a straight pin and just prick our finger because you didn't need a lot of blood, right? You just needed a little. And so uh, we were going to... Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Where were their mothers? Well, when you're doing something bold and courageous, like becoming blood brothers, you don't consult your mother. Besides, we took precautions. We sanitized the straight pin by holding it over a match that was lit. We got that from the movies as well. So, we got all ready. Kurt and I never actually became blood brothers. <laughs> We couldn't quite get up enough courage to actually prick our finger and make it bleed. We tried several times, as I recall. Uh, I remember being terrified that he would actually succeed, and then I would have to do it. But fortunately, neither one of us succeeded, and so we simply remained friends. At least for a while, 
like a lot of friendships, we kind of grew apart. By the time I'm in junior high and high school, I don't remember even seeing Kurt, much less talking to him, even though I'm pretty certain we both went to the same high school. I hadn't thought about Kurt for years, but in preparing for this message, I, I thought about him and I thought about my friendship. And I think, though I could have never expressed it with these words at the time, I think I was looking for something more. I, I think I wanted someone who would be with me in the journey. I wanted, I wanted someone who could see my heart and notice what was going on beneath the surface. Now you might say, wow, that's a lot for a nine or 10 year old to want. But I think we all want that. I think whether we're nine or 90, we want something more than just a friend that we get along with. We want a friend who can walk with us and ultimately point us to God. And I think we want that because we all bear the image of the God who lives in the deepest relationships of all. The problem is few people ever have a friend like that. We, we long for a best friend, but what we need is a friend who can show up and point us to God. We need a friend who will take the risk of encouraging us to find strength in God. We need a friend like Jonathan, Jonathan of the Old Testament. I want to focus on just one verse today, and it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16, and this is the verse. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. That's it. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Another version puts it this way. Jonathan went to David and helped him find strength in God. Jonathan encouraged David to walk closer to God. He encouraged him in his faith and in his journey. And so there's two simple ideas that I hope you carry away with you today, and that's this. We all need a friend who can encourage us to stay strong in our faith in God. And we all need to be a friend who can encourage others to stay strong in their faith in God. Now let's back up a bit and talk about how Jonathan and David became friends in the first place. And in order to do that, we need to remember that 16 is followed by 17, which is followed by 18. Now those of you in C1, you can help me out with this because I'm notorious for getting numbers mixed up. And so first of all, we start with chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, David is anointed to be king. Now, in Israel, when they were showing who a new leader would be, they were anointed with oil. And that's what happens to David. But there's no process, there's no procedure for him to become king. And so while he's anointed as king, we don't know how or when he will become king. So that's 1 Samuel 16. 16 is followed by... Well, you guys are almost no help at all. 17. Yes, 17. Don't they teach anything at the schools these days? All right. 16 is followed by 17. In 1 Samuel 17, 
is one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. It's the story of David and Goliath. And you know the story. David goes out against the giant Goliath, and he wins, and he brings the victory. It's a wonderful story of the little guy going after the big guy. But when we take these stories and kind of lift them out of where they come from, we forget the fact that 16 follows 17, or is followed by 17. And that's important because in chapter 16... David is anointed as king, but in chapter 17, David begins to act like the king. David is showing that he's going to be the king. And he does this by leading the people. One of the things when they asked for a king, the people said, we want a king who will lead us into battle. And that's what David does. He fights Goliath, and that leads to this great battle. And where's Saul when David's fighting Goliath? He's, well, back in his tent. But more significantly, David not only leads the people in battle, he leads depending upon God. David goes to fight Goliath saying, God will protect me, God will take care of me, and God will give me the victory. And the mark of a truly great king of Israel is that he depended upon God. And so in 16, David's anointed to be king. In 17, David begins to act like he's a king. And then we have chapter 18. Okay, the adults are doing okay here, but you kids are really letting me down. Chapter 18 follows. And in chapter 18, you would think people would notice that David was acting like he was king. But in chapter 18, there's only two people who seem to notice that David is acting like the king. And the first one of those is Saul, the current king. And Saul comes to realize the significance of this after the battle when they return and the women come out and they're all excited and they're singing this song and doing a dance about the victory. And in 1 Samuel 18, 7, we're told this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. The song went something like this. Saul has killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. Saul has killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. And it, it was an overnight sensation. It was this huge hit. Suddenly, this unknown group of Israelite women is popping off on TikTok. And, and everyone, there was this dance. And uh, Linda, do you want to demonstrate the dance for us? No, okay, um, maybe later. Okay, so they did the dance and they, they did all this celebration, but they'd sing, Saul has killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. Saul has killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. Now, admittedly, it's not much of a tune, but if you repeat it enough time, it gets under your skin. And that's what happened to Saul. As Saul hears this over and over, he thinks if they attribute that to David now, it won't be long till they make him king. And Saul becomes angry and becomes jealous. And before chapters 18 is over, Saul tries to kill David. And the rest of the book of 1 Samuel is all about Saul trying to kill David and David trying to stay alive. But there's a second person who notices that David is acting like a king in chapter 17, 
And in chapter 18, he responds very differently. And that second person is Jonathan, Saul's son, the heir to the throne, the guy who should be the next king. But instead of becoming angry and jealous like his father does, Jonathan becomes David's friend. And we read about that at the beginning of 1 Samuel 18, in the first four verses, it says this, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his belt. Uh, his bow and his belt. Twice in these verses, we're told that Jonathan loved David as himself. It, literally, it says, Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And that gives you some idea of what it means when Jonathan makes a covenant with David. Jonathan makes a covenant, and a covenant meant that Jonathan was committed to whatever was best for David, regardless of what it would cost Jonathan. And that's better than a blood brother. When a covenant was made in the ancient world, typically a gift was given to demonstrate that the person making the covenant would carry through with what he vowed. And in this case... Jonathan gives David, as it says in the passage, he gives him his robe and his tunic. Now, it's not like Jonathan was wearing a beaver's hoodie or some duck's merch that David thought, hey, that's cool, can I have one? No, 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 no. Jonathan is wearing the robe of the prince. He's wearing the attire of the future king. And that's what he gives to David. And he says, in effect, you are the prince. But more than that, he gives David his weapons, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And it's as if Jonathan is surrendering to David and saying, you will be the next king. Why does he do this? Well, apparently Jonathan recognizes what God is doing. He recognizes the movement of God in David as he kills Goliath, as he brings this great victory. And Jonathan is so aligned with what God is doing that he would rather follow God's plan than be king himself. And so he's able to surrender him, his own desires and plans so that David can be king. I don't know of any place in history when the heir to the throne gives up the right to be king to an upstart that nobody's ever heard of. But that's what Jonathan does. And while Saul spends the rest of the book trying to kill David, Jonathan spends the time being David's friend and trying to protect him. So that's chapter 18. And then you have 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 and 23, which brings us back to this verse that we started with. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. 
Chapter 23 is a chapter full of tension and violence and very fearful situation for David. It begins with David and his men going to fight for a city in Israel that's being attacked by the Philistines. They defeat the Philistines, but then Saul comes after them because he knows where they are. He knows they're in this city. And so David leaves the city and goes out into the wilderness. And there's a verse that summarizes the, the situation in chapter 23. It's verse 14. It says, David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. And that's the situation where Jonathan shows up. He goes to find his friend. David doesn't ask for Jonathan to come, but Jonathan knows that his friend needs encouragement. And so Jonathan comes. And think about what it cost Jonathan to do that. Saul's men couldn't find David, but somehow Jonathan did. And as Jonathan approaches the camp of David, David's guards only see Jonathan as a commander of the army of the enemy. But somehow he gets through the guards. And then what about the cost if Saul finds out what Jonathan is up to? To be a good friend, to be a, a great friend like Jonathan, it requires that we're willing to take risks and pay great cost. And that's what Jonathan does. He encourages David to stay strong. We don't know a lot about what Jonathan said, but there's great power in just showing up. There's great power in being present. Never underestimate the power of being present with somebody without any words. I remember a time of grief in my own life when I felt overwhelmed by grief because of the loss of a friend. And another friend came and she simply sat with me. She didn't say anything. She didn't do anything. She was just present. But by being present, she helped me find strength in the Lord. I had another friend who, as his work brought him uh, past the church that I served at, he would stop, he'd come in, and he'd kneel down beside my chair. He'd put his hand on my shoulder, and he'd pray for me. And then he'd get up and go on his way. By his prayers, he helped me to stay strong in my faith. There's great power in being a friend who is simply present. But Jonathan reminds David of the greater story that David is a part of and how God is at work. And so in verse 17 of uh, 1 Samuel 23, it says this, Don't be afraid, he said, he being Jonathan. Don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel. I will be second to you. Even my father knows this. Jonathan invites David to trust in the unseen more than the seen. It's very obvious what Saul's up to. It's very easy to see what the enemy is doing. It's harder to see what God's up to. And it's harder to trust in God's unseen work in our lives. But a great friend reminds us 
that even though we may not see it, God is still at work. God's doing something. And so the unseen friend says, don't be afraid. I didn't say that right. He's, Jonathan is seen. The great friend says, don't be afraid because of the unseen work of God. That's what it's supposed to be. Also, Jonathan reminds David that this present crisis is not the end of the story. As David is roaming around in these wilderness places, he has to be asking, how long can I stay ahead of Saul and his army? How long before I get caught and am killed? But Jonathan says, listen to the bigger story that God is telling. The story that doesn't have to do with just today and this moment. There's a story that God's telling that begins in eternity past and it ends in eternity future. And David, you're a part of that story. And David, God has said you're going to be king someday. And so listen to the story that God is telling. And a great friend invites us to listen to the bigger story that God is telling. Over a lifetime, we have many friends. Some are mere acquaintances, some are best friends. But I hope that along the way, you have a friend who can help you find strength in the Lord. And if you have a friend or two like that, you are truly blessed. We all need a friend who can show up and point us to God, who can encourage us to stay strong in our faith. And, as we said before, we all need to be a friend who encourages our friend to stay strong in the Lord. So my question today is, do you have a friend like that? And are you becoming a friend like that? And if what I've said stirs something in you and there, there's a longing for a deeper connection with a friend or to be a friend, then let me suggest a couple quick things as we conclude that can help you in this pursuit of being a friend. The first one is simply this. Pursue your friendship with Jesus. I, again, I think we have this longing for a friend because we long, ultimately, to find our friendship in Jesus. And in Jesus, we find the friend that we've always longed for. In John 15, Jesus says, greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And then he goes on to call his disciples his friends. Jesus came to restore the relationship that is broken by sin. He came so that we could become friends. And like Jonathan, Jesus establishes a covenant. He calls it the new covenant. But Jesus' covenant is established in his own blood. Jesus gives his own life so that we can be friends with him. If you want to be a great friend, pursue your friendship with Jesus. If you want to find a great friend... Look for somebody who's pursuing their friendship with Jesus. The second thing that we find in this is this. Pursue someone who's older. We tend to look for a friend in our peers, but I'd encourage you to look for someone who is older, someone who's wiser, someone who's had more experience. 
One thing I failed to mention when I was talking about David and Jonathan's relationship is that Jonathan was likely very, very much older than David or significantly older than David. We don't know exactly how old they were when David kills Goliath. Scholars think that David was probably about 17 But Jonathan would have been older because Jonathan was already a seasoned warrior. Jonathan had fought in a number of battles. He had led the nation into war. And in fact, Jonathan commanded a third, if not a half, of the Israelite army. He was older than David, but he recognized the hand of God in David, and he encouraged that, and he strengthened that, and he even let David lead. When my kids were growing up, they were blessed to have a number of adults in their life who were pointing them in a good direction. There was uh, Grandma Younce, there was Aunt Kathy, there was Uncle Lamar, and there, were Auntie, there was Auntie M. The interesting thing about those four people, and there were many others, but the interesting thing about those four people is they weren't related to my children in any way. But they were present in my children's lives, and they pointed them in a good direction, and they became like family. Some of you who are here today need to become a grandma or a grandpa or an aunt or an uncle to someone whom you're not related to. Look to someone older than you. And they don't have to be a lot older. Uh, Some of you kids are saying, well, you know, I'm not very old. Well, you're probably older than somebody. There's very few here that aren't older than somebody. I heard recently of a young man who attends our church that went to college, and as he goes to college, he was intentionally becoming friends with upperclassmen because he figured they've already gone through what I'm going through. And so they're only a couple years older, but they are able to help him and encourage him to become strong in the Lord. It was a very smart move. Look for someone who's older. Finally, this last thought, don't believe the lies of the enemy. The enemy of your soul does not want you to pursue a friend who can speak in a significant way in your life. The enemy of your soul does not want you to be a friend who can speak significantly into the lives of others. And so the enemy of your soul will fill you with lies so that you don't move toward friendship. And this is one of the biggest and significant lies of the enemy. It's this, you have nothing to offer. I know. Some of you, as I was speaking this, you were thinking, well, that's a great idea, but I have nothing to offer, right? That's the lie of the enemy. It's the lie of the enemy on a number of different levels, but let me point out this. If you said yes to Jesus, then you have Holy Spirit in you. And if you have Holy Spirit in you, then you have streams of living water flowing through you. And if you just show up, those streams of living water can touch those who you have friendship with. And that's what they need. They need someone who can speak the truth into their lives. And by the way, don't worry if you don't know what to say. Remember the power of presence. And trust that it's not your work. 
You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to have the speech all figured out. Go trusting that the living God in you will give you what you need to have an impact in the lives of those who are your friends. Linda, have you ever had a friend like that? As we were preparing our thoughts for our time this morning, there was a very distinct memory that came to mind. Um, I was 32 years old when my dad passed away. And uh, I was a young mom and had a young family. And most of my friends were in their early 30s or many of my friends were still in their 20s. It became radically evident very early on in that that no one in my circle of friends had any idea what they were supposed to do to support or cope with someone who had just lost a parent. They were terrified about what they were supposed to say. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. None of us had ever encountered this. Until one morning, the doorbell rang, earlier than doorbells should ring at people's <laughs> houses. And I opened the door, and there was my dear friend Jenna with a box of donuts. And she didn't come in with words. She just showed up. She didn't believe the lie that she didn't have anything to offer. She believed in the power of the unseen and she allowed Holy Spirit to work through her and donuts, which are my love language. Amen. And Holy Spirit ministered to me as Jenna just sat and let me cry. It's one of my most powerful memories of our friendship. But honestly, when we were thinking about it, I don't even know if she remembers it. So as we return to worship, have there been moments in your life where you have had the opportunity to show up and be present in powerful ways for someone else? Or perhaps you've experienced that gift from someone else as Holy Spirit is working through them to minister to you. Let's be thankful and grateful for the people in our lives who point us to Jesus and keep us strong in our faith. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.